The following is a presentation of the Six Arrows Radio Network. Welcome to the Modern Christian Men Podcast with your host, Kale Nelson. Welcome back into the Modern Christian Men Podcast. Season number three, going to kick off with David Vanderpool from Live Beyond Ministries. Going to drop you right into the conversation. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Pay attention, there's a lot of great stuff happening in Haiti. Well, thank you for your time. I'm glad we're able to get together. I was uh, just looking over some things from the uh, from the livebeyond.org website as I was uh, getting ready for this, and I appreciate your time uh, as we get ready to uh, begin this call uh, to be here with us. Absolutely, and thank you so much for checking out the website and seeing more about what we do. Yeah, man. Well, you know, <laughs> I'll probably talk about this in a few minutes, but it's quite convicting to uh, to watch the the habitat and the way folks have to live that we're not used to here in these United States of America. So, I'm telling you, we are so blessed here in the United States, and I feel like it's, you know, part of our role as Christians is to share the blessings that we've been given with others. Yeah, you know, uh, well, we might as well start, if that's okay with you. I am happy to start whenever you are. Yeah, I'm just, uh, we're going to just have a conversation here over the next 45, 55 minutes. And if if that's too much for you, let me know. We'll stop when you need to. Um, But I'm going to run out of ideas way before (laughs) then, man. (laughs) Well, my wife says I have no trouble talking, so we'll see what happens there. (laughs) <laughs> so, Sounds great. So I, I check out livebeyond.org, and uh, there, there's all sorts of things there. Can you give us a little idea of what Live Beyond is? Absolutely, yes, sir. We are a missions and international development nonprofit, and we have been called to work currently in Haiti, which is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. We feel like the Lord has given us a very diverse uh, kind of range of topics to address in our part of Haiti. We're in Tomazo, Haiti. It's a very rural part of the country and one of the poorest parts of an already extremely impoverished um, nation. And so we have been given lots of skills, lots of talents. And so kind of like the parable of the talents, it's, we've been expected uh, you know, quite a bit of that. So our CEO is also a medical director. He is a trauma surgeon by trade. And so medical care is one of the major parts of what Live Beyond does. We have a clinic uh, where we do lots of different medical procedures, everything from kind of a general clinic to a maternal health clinic to minor surgeries and OB-GYN care. Um, And we're looking to expand that clinic into a full hospital complex. But We've recognized that, you know, we can treat the medical needs of the local people, but if they go home and they still starve to death, we haven't really accomplished much. And so my expertise is agricultural development. So we have a demonstration farm where we train local farmers in improved methods of agriculture. So they can not only just produce more on their own farms, but they'll also be able to market it better and increase their livelihoods, but then, of course, also increase their nutritional intake. And so we're seeing healthier people because of that. And from the farm and from the agricultural program, we've branched out where we have a feeding and nutrition program where we distribute about 100,000 meals a month, mostly in local schools. So that the local school-age kids are having better meals, you know, increased, improved nutrition. But 
we also recognize, you know, okay, you can take care of the medical needs and you can make sure that they're, you know, well fed, but if they're still drinking dirty water, they're going to continue to get sick. And then everything we do in the clinic is just going to be reactionary. And so we want to be proactive. And so we've set up a huge uh, waterworks grid type program where we have a water filtration system set out all throughout the community so that it's never more than about a mile uh, to the next um, the next water filtration system so that people are now having access to clean water. But just because they're healthy and fed and have access to clean water, they might not have any potential for, you know, improved development. And so we have microeconomic work and we have entrepreneurial development and we have education. We have our own primary school on the base where we're trying to train uh, local Haitian teachers, but then, of course, instill good education into the next generation of Haitians so that they can grow up and be leaders of their own country and be well-educated and have good logic uh, thought processes and, you know, able to to make a difference in their own lives, but then also the lives of their community. But most importantly, priority of every program we have at the center of everything is our church and our evangelism program. And so we have chapel every day of the week and our church service on Sunday. We've raised up a deacons program where we're sending these deacons out to the community to take care of their own people. But then we also have a church leadership training program where church leaders from all over the region come to our base where they Skype in with church leaders in the United States and they work through scripture together, but then they also work through practical, real problems that they're facing in their churches and they're able to get advice from one another and kind of have a mentorship program for church leaders. So that is at the heart of everything, but it's a lot of everything. There's a whole lot that is going on. And we have other programs like our Johnny's Kids program, which is our special needs program. One of the most incredible things I've ever witnessed. I have absolutely, you know, little to do with it um, as anybody other than, you know, the actual core team members. But it's without a doubt my favorite thing that goes on at Live Beyond because just such incredible special people that get to be part of that program. But we do a lot and it's such good work. Um, but you know, we kind of see development as a three-legged stool. You take one of the legs away, it's going to fall over. So we can't just focus on medical. We can't just focus on agriculture or water or education. We've got to have the full package and kind of be more holistic to be able to truly start finding solutions to the overarching problem of poverty there. I'm listening, I'm listening to you describe this, and it sounds, it sounds to me like, what governments try to do to, to pacify their their constituents to you know have them vote a certain way or provide them a certain standard of living, but in reality, what you're doing is exactly the the Great Commission. You are fulfilling these people's needs at every level, but you're not just handing it to them. Uh, you're teaching them to fish, as you know, the old euphemism goes, but. It, you know, it's one thing to 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 mission trip and and do some eye surgeries or something, right? Uh, do dental work, as we hear a lot of, but you're you're doing maternal work, helping moms and 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 working in that. I saw one of the videos on your website that really spoke, you know, heavy into that, as well as the orphan care, the clean water, which is a big deal for me. I'll probably speak on that later. 
uh, feeding these people, teaching them how to uh, be business people themselves. I, I mean, did, <laughs> did it ever when this all began, did it ever look this big or was it, we're just going to go to Haiti because they had an earthquake? You know, honestly, we are the, I'm sorry, I lost you for a second. Could you repeat that last question? Yeah, I was just going to say, was it ever thought about in the front end, this is so big, it's so broad, or was it, oops, they just had an earthquake. Let's go see if we can help. Well, you know, we are the prototypical example of uh, trial by error or, <laughs> you know, kind of you know, we can't learn unless we make the mistake ourselves. Right. But we were originally a disaster relief organization. Our original name is Mobile Medical Disaster Relief because we are the least creative people on the planet. <laughs> and so we named ourselves by what we did. Right. And we okay. had worked – in Mozambique and uh, we were working in Honduras when the earthquake hit in Haiti back in January of 2010. And so we responded to the earthquake as a disaster relief organization. And we had a number of clinics throughout Port-au-Prince that we were running. And like our name implied, we were primarily a medical organization because CEO is a trauma surgeon, which was incredibly useful in an earthquake type disaster. Yeah, you think <laughs> lots of, lots of trauma. Yeah. Um, but one thing that we found in Haiti was that the poverty was different from places, the other places we had worked, the, the poverty we had seen elsewhere. In Mozambique, great people, great, you know, great place, wonderful work, very poor in parts of it, but it was just different. And we also felt that Haiti just kind of had a different level of oppression as well, both a physical you know, manifested depression, but also just a spiritual darkness. And we eventually came to learn that that was, you know, largely due to the voodoo there. Right. But due to this ongoing uh, kind of more chronic poverty that we were seeing and, you know, leading from the Lord, we felt that we were called to transition from the uh, the disaster relief aspect of our work into a more long-term development side of things. And so we went from having a couple of, or about four or five clinics in Port-au-Prince to we moved out into this small uh, rural area of Tomazo and started kind of making a more long-term putting down roots type impact. And we started with our clinic because once again, that's what we were really good at. Mm -hmm. But then uh, as I started acquiring some degrees in agriculture, I started kind of starting the demonstration farm and doing kind of uh, an extension type work with the local farmers in the area. And mom's heart, mom is the, um, she's the CFO. She lives down in Haiti full time, Laurie Vanderpool. She, her heart is just so incredibly oversized. She's like the opposite of the Grinch. She uh, saw so many children who were literally starving to death. And we're incredibly uh, uh, malnourished, but then also stunted due to their uh, their lack of nutrition. And so she started just a special program for the uh, local children who are all severely underweight to come to our base every day and receive food. Well, from that, it grew into, well, we're also going to send you to school and we're going to tutor you and we're going to do leadership training and we're going to. Um, opened up our own school. And of course, you know, Bible study was, you know, going on throughout the entirety of it all. But that program, which is called Kaputi Moon, which means heart for the children, started as something simple and small and exploded into one of our biggest ministries. 
And, you know, same with the farm. The farm started as something, you know, low-hanging fruit, something that I could actually do, and has now grown to something that I'm incredibly proud of and, and love seeing going on. Same with Johnny's Kids, our special needs programs. The Johnny's Kids is named for uh, mom's younger brother, John Mark Stallings, who had Down syndrome. And so started from we just want to be able to provide extra care for some of these mentally and physically uh, handicapped children to it's now a physical and occupational therapy program that you know is serving a great community. And so it, it, everything has just been kind of a almost by accident or such low hanging fruit you couldn't pass it up. Or maybe a more accurate way to think about it is the need is just so great we couldn't ignore it. And so rather than just saying, nope, we've got our blinders on, we do medicine, we're going to do medicine, and somebody else can worry about everything else, in our area, there really aren't that many everyone else to worry about the stuff. And so we kind of realize, well, if we don't, then who will? I think there's a whole lot of scriptural backing for that. You know, if we don't go, how will who will preach it? If we don't preach it, how will they hear? And if they don't hear, how will they you know know and believe? And we kind of see that as the aspect or the the premise for why we do this work. You know, I use agriculture as a means of evangelism, not because I give a single flip about eggplants. <laughs> I don't care about eggplants. Other than that's a great cash crop in Haiti. And so we raise a lot of eggplants, but I can use the garden and the farm as a way to minister to people. Same with the water. You know, it's so easy to make parallels between, Hey, here's some clean water. You're not going to get cholera and die from this to Jesus is the living water. That's just low hanging fruit. Yeah. And so if we pass it by, you know, we're just fools. And we are still quite frequently fools, but we try <laughs> to be less foolish <laughs> the more and more. And so, yes, sir, we have grown into this very diversified organization, uh, not out of a plan that was not our original intent. I don't think we had any idea that we were going to stay in Haiti longer than, you know, kind of our six month disaster relief response effort, uh, much less we're coming up on nine years here next month. And so mom and dad, they have pledged to die in Haiti. And so uh, I hope that doesn't happen anytime soon, but I just mentioned when, that. When they say, fulfilled their years. <laughs> yes, sir. They are fully committed to the work that the Lord has given them, given us all down there in Haiti. Is that the secret? You know, I'm sitting here listening to this, this low hanging fruit, you know, and I get it. I get what you're saying. But we have so many churches here in the States who have been chasing the low-hanging fruit since the 60s and the 50s. My, my local church was established in 1933, and, and we're still trying to um, embrace the local community. Uh, is it one of those things where we hear a lot of uh, miracles and signs and wonders in other countries that is not you know, the Western sieve that we enjoy here in the States? Is it because people are so hungry, willing, and open uh, to receive, uh, and God has uh, a much more authority? Is the wrong word to use there, but he's he's uh, he and his power are received differently in that environment versus uh, the states, or is it just the need is so great, or is it a combination 
because it's like you say, you have a list that's you know like Santa's Christmas list of <laughs> of you know wish, but it's things that you guys are doing and you're touching every aspect of these people's lives. And I just have to believe that there is uh, d- definitively some great spiritual work happening there. And, and this is just the fruit of that work. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And I, I do think it is kind of a complex issue to to what you're talking about. Um, when I look at Haiti versus America, or, you know, comparing the two, especially spiritually, mm-hmm. my favorite Bible verse is Luke 10, verse 2. It says, pray that the Lord will raise up reapers for the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Yep. And I am an ag nerd, and so all those ag metaphors definitely appeal to me on a <laughs> higher basis. But I think it's also very appropriate for how we should see the mission field at the same time. I feel like we almost have the the parable of the camel going th- through the eye of the needle here in the United States and that we don't need God right. in the U.S. And I don't mean that literally. We all desperately need God. But we're able to survive in this uh, mortal life quite comfortably without him. Or, you know, we, at least we think we are. Yeah, yeah. And so – yeah, you know, why bother? I mean, the church, that's just an extra chore on Sunday morning. Right. When am I going to get out of it? That one hour. Exactly. Oh, man, and the Cowboys are playing and, you know, all that other stuff. And <laughs> so that, I feel like, is the major roadblock we have in the U.S. Is It's almost like we're too blessed. I mean, Jesus kind of says that literally, you know, very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And by golly, we are some rich people here in the U.S. The poorest of us are a whole lot wealthier than the rest of the world, but especially in Haiti. But in Haiti, oh, yes, there is a hunger. They are oh, just such, such sweet people. But they know, they know what life looks like. Because it's so different from what they're currently having to experience. I I like to say, or I like to to point it out this way, that in voodoo especially, and voodoo is just open Satanism. Lucifer is the chief deity in the voodoo pantheon. Uh, I mean, it is a a religion of oppression and cursing. I mean, don't take the media's word for it. You can look up voodoo and Wikipedia makes it sound like it's just all butterflies and rainbows, but that is not the voodoo that we have experienced every single day in Haiti. It is so just violent and oppressive. And then when missionaries and Christians and the the deacons in our deacons program or the evangelists go out into the area and they're talking about the love of Jesus and kind of the, the kingdom of light and contrasting it to the religion of darkness that voodoo is, the local people are able to see that and go, oh, that's different. That's what I want. I don't want what I currently have, and I do want what they are preaching, especially when we partner it with the love of our different ministries. And like I said, I don't care about eggplants. I don't care about sheep or goats or honeybees or bananas or any of the stuff that we we work with on the farm. 
I care about the people that benefit because of it, the relationships I'm able to develop through it, and then the love of Jesus that we're able to preach um, because we've developed those relationships and because we've been able to show the people you know, how much we love them. It's like that cheesy saying, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. I feel like that applies so well to evangelism and to mission work. Like we've got to, we've got to actually take care of their physical needs before they'll allow us to to talk to them about their spiritual needs. And I think Jesus did that. I mean, he fed the five thousand and then gave the sermon. He healed the people and then talked to them about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he understood if I want to make an impact, I need to like reach out and touch them first. I can't just speak to them from on high and think that they'll you know actually respond well. He knew what he was doing. And so we try to take a leaf out of his book when we're (laughs) doing our work as well. Well, You know, I tell my wife that when people, it's my opinion that if people can see the kingdom manifest itself, you know, through love and and charity and and fill in the blank, you know, if they can see someone's life change through uh, physical healing or uh, financial blessing or something like that and and realize that it can happen to their neighbor it can happen to them uh this person their na- alcoholic neighbor they've lived beside for the last 30 years in the mill village is now knocking doors on saturday morning and inviting people to ride the bus to church the next day that really gets a hold of people and it's one of those things you become all things to all people mm-hmm. so i'm sure I mean, you really didn't start out wanting to be a farmer, right? I mean, you were just kind of, were you there helping your folks as they would go out and do these disaster recovery type of operations? Yes, sir. So I majored in biblical studies, biblical text um, as my undergrad, and I knew I wanted to be a missionary, and I took a lot of missions classes, (laughs) and every single class, I was, whatever the opposite of the teacher's pet is, I was the... (laughs) teacher's loathed student, because I would raise my hand every single class. I made a very obnoxious point of this and ask, what does a missionary do every day? Like, what do you do? Like, well, let's read this textbook. Like, I did. It didn't answer the question. What do you do? And so I graduate. I'm like, well, I'll go be a missionary, whatever that means. Plant churches. Where do you buy church? church I I was a stubborn, obnoxious pain in the neck you know, thought I knew everything kind of kid, like we probably all were. Yeah. But I had been working with Mobile Medical Disaster Relief since we started it as a response to Hurricane Katrina in 2005. And so I knew I was going to work. Whatever it looked like, I was going to find work to do. Mm-hmm. And it just made sense. Development work. That is the key to opening doors to then preach the gospel. And I was living in in Port-au-Prince, um, summer of 2010, and I was running these clinics just kind of more as an admin guy since I'm not medical at all. But uh, the Lord said, hey, look at all these hungry people. You know, feed my sheep. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take that literally. And so <laughs> I uh, have been able to go on and receive different degrees and different aspects of international agricultural development. And since then, you know, it's just – become my passion, like I said, not because I care about, you know, the agriculture side of itself, but because I care about the impact it's able to make. And 
I've been so grateful that the Lord finally opened my eyes to see the path that he intended for me. Took me about what twenty two years to finally have my eyes opened, okay. but better late than never. Yeah, yeah. So some people <laughs> die with their eyes still closed. So you're okay. <laughs> That's true, but then it gave me the opportunity. Uh, I got to work for the army in Afghanistan doing agricultural development, and you know it's it's a very impactful way to do um, mission work, and so I was working with Afghan farmers over there. Uh, getting to help them with their grape growing or their apple growing and then preaching the gospel. And I kind of got my wrist slapped a few times because you're not supposed to do that. You're working for the government. But golly, it was just too easy. I mean, like a low-hanging fruit might be a terrible metaphor for it, but that's really how it felt. Like, like, okay, if it's this simple, why pass it by? Well, I think, no, I've got to strive for something more complex. No, I think simple is always the way to go. And in Haiti, where hunger is a major issue, agriculture is a simple, I would like to say solution. That might be a little too prideful, but it solves a lot of problems. And yes, sir, so... That's kind of how I got into agriculture and you know how I finally ended up in this field. But golly, I sure haven't looked back. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's going to be really, really hard to work yourself out of the job because with 7 billion people in the world, a whole lot of hungry folks. And so we've got a whole lot of work to do with agricultural development. So I love that, that you, you go back to the low-hanging fruit. And, and I don't find any offense. I think that's a very – a very good way to describe it because going back to our earlier discussion about folks here in the States, it seems a lot harder, but again, is there too much to be drawn from to where it makes that fruit a lot, hang a lot higher and a lot harder to reach? Um, I love the fact, I mean, you, you make it sound and, and I don't mean to take away from what you said. And if I, if I, if I misheard you, please correct me, but you make it sound like, these folks are so hungry, not just in their bellies, but also in their spirit and their soul, that they embrace, by and large, what you're bringing to them from Jesus in a way that you can really find a hard way to describe how open they are to that. Yes, sir. And I think what you're saying is absolutely uh, accurate. Um, I think that it's not just because we're preaching it and not just because, you know, we're, we're doing the development work of love, but also because it is the truth that the message we are preaching isn't just a, a pretty message that's coupled with, you know, a plate of beans and rice as well, but that the truth of the gospel is getting through and that we've just kind of been able to tear down the barriers uh, with the development and with the love that we're showing people and the truth is now able to be received well. I think if a false message were to come in, it would not be as well received in Haiti, um, even with when coupled with the same kind of work that we're doing. And so I think, you know, all glory to God and his gospel for the work that's uh, for the, the results of the work that's going in Haiti. Well, he does say if he is lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. Amen. And, wow, nine years, ten, let's say 10, 12 years ago, this this whole thing that you've been describing was was not even a consideration. Oh, no, sir. 10, 12 years ago, let's see, 2000, 
six. Is that correct math? Yeah. Uh, we, were, <laughs> <laughs> we were working in Mozambique and I was first starting to kind of get my feet into agriculture. We did some poultry programs uh, out in a very rural area of Mozambique and I got to be a little bit of a part of that and it was a lot of fun. I got to be involved with some microeconomic uh, entrepreneurial type uh, job creation programs and that was great. And I can definitely see how all these past programs and projects influenced uh, the path that I'm on. But, oh my goodness, I'm not sure if I could have pointed out Haiti on a map at that time. <laughs> and now I know Haiti and especially driving through the streets of Port-au-Prince better than I do my hometown. And so yeah, one, yeah. Of my favorite, one of my favorite sayings is if you want to make the Lord laugh, tell him your plans. And golly, I had no idea that this was going to be my future, but – well, that's where I was getting ready to go because uh, I know that he laughs at me on a daily basis, and uh, I'm, I'm still just kind of grinning back, waiting on him to continue to pour out this plan of his. But, you know, there's there's probably some guys listening, probably even some ladies listening, that are, are thinking, wow, this is great for this guy and his family, and, you know, his dad was a doctor, so they were loaded, and they could go do this <laughs> stuff. And, you you know, you get that. And that's that's yes, a, that's got to be a Western thing. I don't think people in these impoverished countries think like this. Maybe they do. I don't know. But you know, oh, that's just great for them. That works out good. You know, that's easy. And um, they're down there having holiday in Haiti, enjoying the sunshine. And you know, I'm up oh, here goodness. having a, I'm up here having to sell cars on a used car lot or something. I could never do that. I don't have the ability, the the capacity. You know any of that? Uh, I mean, are your I mean, your folks have to be saints. Don't get me wrong, but the question is: Are they really that special, or is this something that God can use anybody to do? I will say first of all, while Haiti is technically a Caribbean island, we are not on the beach. We are in a very rough part of the country. There is no laying out in the sun and relaxing. <laughs> we work dawn to dusk, and we really. We view Live Beyond and our work here as kind of more of a for-profit business where we show up to work. While technically we are a 501c3 charity, we do not approach our responsibilities with it in a charity-type mindset. Um, we, have, we are frequently accused of being very works-oriented, and I don't always take offense to that. Anyway, that being said <laughs> – Yes, my parents are absolutely saints. I think more highly of them than anybody else alive on earth today. Um, however, that being said, no, it is not that they are something special. And yes, dad is a doctor and he had a very successful medical practice, but he put a majority of the profits of his medical practice into the nonprofit. And we were completely self-funded for quite a while before they sold everything, moved to Haiti back in 2013, and now we actually fundraise because we've grown so large. It's well just beyond ourselves. It's not just the Vanderpools anymore. It's you know a huge team effort. That being said, this is not you know a bunch of supermen and wonder women running around doing the work in Haiti. We are just very uh, – either dedicated or committed or stubborn, choose the word you like, you know, Christians, you know, living out the great commission 
how we best understand it. And we've got people that are running programs who that is not where they thought where they thought they would be at this point in their life. But they received the call from Christ and they answered it and they came down to Haiti and they have totally transformed their lives. They are sold everything back home and they are in this for the long haul. What I like to say is, hey, if you're the guy that's making ends meet by selling cars at a used car lot, that is awesome. That very well could be where the Lord has you. You might be there to minister to your coworkers and to all the customers that come in. If you want to be a missionary, and maybe this is time for a um, a definition of the word. I see missionary as being you know a foreigner going to a different land to, to preach the gospel and an evangelist as being somebody who preaches the gospel in their home country. Mm-hmm. That worker at the car lot preaching to the customers and his co-workers, you could be an amazing evangelist and you very well may be called to be an evangelist right there. But if you've been called to be a missionary, somebody going elsewhere, and I think, you know, one thing you need to probably bring something to the table at least that's how I view it, or at least within Live Beyond. It may not be correct for other organizations. I don't want to talk in absolutes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was running clinics in Port-au-Prince from an admin role, and I did my absolute best. It's not what my skill set was, and it's not exactly what I wanted to be doing with my life, but I knew I wanted to be doing missions. Once I understood that the Lord wanted me to be an agricultural development expert, I went and got those degrees and was able to now bring something to the table here in Haiti. I am now being, I'm able to teach agricultural development and best practices and um, marketing for your crops and business techniques for, you know, maintaining your farm. So all that, I now have something to offer. I think that's kind of like, once again, the parable of the talents. And we've been given talents and maybe one of those talents is how to Go to school and get a degree. And so if you want to be a missionary and maybe you're still in school, you want to become a doctor and you want to be a medical missionary. You want to become a farmer. That's a much easier degree to obtain. Uh, you know, Go do that. Go learn something that's going to you know, be effective and be useful. Um, history of interpretive dance might not be as useful in the mission field. Right. Honestly, my undergrad in biblical text, uh, I'm not able to speak Hebrew with too many of the people I'm working with in Haiti. <laughs> it laid a great foundation for the mission work we're doing. However, I wish I had double majored in something more practical. Right. And so that's my bit of advice is, you know, if you want to be a missionary, then you know, find something that's going to really benefit the people that you're going to uh, you know, uh, evangelize to. If you want to be an evangelist in your own neighborhood, in your own community, awesome. You just need to know some scripture and I guess have a very outgoing personality. Find that low-hanging fruit, right? (laughs) Find that low-hanging fruit, yes, sir. And there's a lot of that in in our own neighborhoods, even probably in our own churches if we were completely honest (laughs) with ourselves. But yeah, uh, you know, it's – I really wanted to hear you say that about your folks because – you know, there's so many people who think that these things are so far away from them. It's so impossible. But you guys, uh, 
you guys do trips. You allow groups to come in and help you. I'm, I'm assuming uh, during whenever and let people kind of get a taste of what missions work is. And I, I know that has to help these young people as they're, you know, trying to put two and two together to figure out where they're supposed to go in life. Um, I never did the, the out of the States mission trip as a youth, but, uh, you know, going to the beach a couple of times during high school to, to sing on the sand was, was fun, but it didn't st- steer <laughs> me anywhere. But I can imagine if someone felt called to, to missionary work, that's a great way to do it. And tell us a little bit about how groups come in and, and how they assist the Live Beyond uh, folks there in Haiti. That's a beautiful segue. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yes, sir. We take teams down to our base in Haiti every month, sometimes twice a month. I think we have 17 teams lined up for next year, and they're filling up fast. So go to livebeyond.org and register for a mission trip now if you want to get involved. Um, but yes, sir, they are a ton of fun, and they're a great way to get your feet wet in mission work. And there's a lot of criticism for short-term missions, and I understand it. A lot of it is very appropriate. The way we practice short-term mission work, and I know I'm biased, but I feel like it is a much more appropriate and effective way of, of implementing this type of, um, of missions. So we have all these programs that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, and the, the clinic, the maternal health, the farm, the school Johnny's Kids, the feeding program, the church, those all happen with or without the teams. They're going on every day, all day. If we never have a team come back again, those, those programs are still happening. When the teams come, we have more people supplementing the work that we're doing. And so we're able to really jack up our numbers and boost the numbers for that week that we have the team. I'm able to get more work done on the farm. We're able to have more physical therapy going with Johnny's kids. We're able to see more patients in the clinic. And so it's just a supplement, a short-term supplement of our long-term mission. And so I love the way we do the short-term missions. It's not, you know, we're going to go down and paint a church and then next month somebody else is going to come down and, and repaint the church. That's just kind of the the example that's given so often for bad short-term missions. Yeah, yeah. But you, you guys open it up and let people come in and, I mean, they just complement the efforts yes, that you sir. guys are, are producing every day. Compliment's a great way to put it. Yes, sir. But once again, we try to take advantage of the skill set that you are bringing to the table. And so if you're a doctor, we're not going to put you down on the farm. We're going to put you in the clinic. And if you're a teacher, you know, we're, we're not going to have you in the clinic. We're going to have you in the school. And so we take, you know, what is assumedly the passion of your life that you're doing back home and pairing it with its missional counterpart. And uh, so, yes, sir, everybody that, you know, has a profession back in the States, we're then able to show them, hey, this is how your profession has an impact in Haiti. And then everybody that has a strong back and a weak mind, I get down on the farm and they get to pull weeds with me. <laughs> no, but, uh, but it really is, like you were saying, a great introduction to missions. But then also just an eye opener for, hey, I can be useful here too. And it's not just you know, superheroes that are going down and becoming missionaries. 
I too could become a missionary. And it's so true. We have businessmen and women or bankers who come down and they're like, well, you know, what, what good am I? Like, what good are you? Are you kidding? Entrepreneurialism is one of the most important things that we have got to develop. We have got to really create, you know, a better economic environment in our area. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to stay poor. Yeah. And if there's no economic development, then there's no progress. There's just continued poverty. And what can you add? Well, the list is pretty much endless. Yeah. You could teach savings and loans type program. You could teach them how to better invest their money. You could teach them accounting. So when they start their business, they're able to keep the books. You could, I, mean, the, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And then you get the person who, man, I work at a used car lot. What good am I? Are you kidding? You know how to make sales. You could teach marketing and sales and all those different types of things. So everybody has a skill set that is appropriate to missions work. Now, people that want to move down here full time, awesome. I want you to identify that part of your skill set that is most appropriate and maximize it. So now you're not just, you know, I can tell you all about the Honda Civic and, you know, sell you on it. Okay, you know, I can tell you about sales and this is how we're going to do it. Right. Just an easy example. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I know, kind of going back to an earlier topic, I want to give a good shout out to my in-laws. He's a used car salesman. And she is the uh, she works in collections uh, for a company, and you know, they first said, you know, what good are we to missions? And we'd love to come visit you in Haiti. This is while we were living down there, uh, but you know, I don't know what we're going to offer. Like, are you kidding? Y'all are some of the best examples of what a good Christian husband and wife look like. Not only do your skill sets and your profession apply to work in Haiti. But back home, they are some of the most amazing evangelists, and they don't even really realize it. Growing up, I got to have you know a very flashy, beautiful lifestyle of being a you know always going on mission trips, always following dad around to some uh, third world hospital, and you know I got to come home and brag to my friends about how cool you know my parents were. I meet my you know now in laws, and might not think that they was that was so flashy, but I don't know. Anybody who goes and visits people in the hospital so often as they do, like I never did that growing up unless it was, you know, to go with dad to do a surgery, right. on, you know, somebody in a hospital. It was never visiting the sick. It was, you know, and so I, I just love seeing kind of the opposite side of the coin. Now, they're the ones that are always taking care of the sick people at the church or strangers at, at the local hospital. They're the ones who are going to visit people in prison. They're the ones who are you know, giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. And I love the example they set that is so easily overlooked and so unflashy, I guess is a good way to say it. My parents are frequently uh, and appropriately identified as saints, but I think you know, people like my in-laws should be recognized as that as well. Anyway, back to what you were saying about mission trips. Yes, sir. We take trips down there all the time. It's about 40 plus people that come on the trips and people are not only able to serve and serve the poorest of the poor and, you know, really get to work in missions. But I think it's a great, once again, low hanging fruit, a great easy way to practice spreading the gospel. 
So often back home, we think it's difficult and we kind of set up these hurdles in front of ourselves of talking to your coworker. You know, you know I don't even know how to start the conversation about, you know, <laughs> the gospel or anything like that. Come to Haiti. It's easy to say, hey, I'm never going to see these people again. It's not like I have something to be embarrassed about. And I don't need to you know, maintain my reputation. Let's go for it. Right. And you just start sharing the gospel. I feel like it's just good, easy practice. So even if you're not going to become a full-time missionary, you have practiced how to spread the gospel. So that when you come back home and you're working on your evangelism side of things, hey, you've already got that first hurdle pulled down. And maybe now you can start getting a little bit of momentum. You know, I've, I've got a, I've got a wonder right here. How many folks are listening, and they're like, uh, "I'm not a missionary, and I'm not an evangelist." But really, we all are, whether we're in Haiti or Colorado Springs. I mean, we are called to be Christ representatives. It, it, that's probably a whole number con- another conversation we could have about the fact that we are all called to that. But having that practice, like you're saying, has got to be invaluable. When you get back home. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Well, one of my favorite quotes, this is not scriptural, but I like to think it's accurate. Uh, It says, we are all either missionaries or imposters. And I think missionary slash evangelist would be uh, accurate as well. But the Great Commission was not given to some. And we have all been called to spread the gospel. Now, the means in which you do it, I think that's more personalized. That's more individualistic. But we've all been called. Yeah. And so. But the workers are few, right? The workers are few. And, man, it's a big harvest field, the entire world. (laughs) Before we go, I want to talk to you about clean water. My my clean water story, uh, I've I've touched on it here a time or two in the past on the show. Uh, Years ago, my wife was pregnant with our baby. She's now seven. And uh, about every four weeks, we were getting sick. All five of six of us in the house at the time would, would have this, like, terrible stomach disorder for about three days. And then four to six weeks would pass. We would be good. And then the same thing would happen again. And then it would happen. And you're like, why do we keep getting sick? And finally, my wife said, I think our water may be making us sick. Now, we live on a farm way down away from civilization, got a well there. And we had lived in this house at this point about, um, I don't know, three or four years, never never a problem. Tested the water. In fact, the water was dirty, and we had to clean our well, uh, treat it, I guess you'd say. In that time, uh, we had a Berkey water filter that we had bought just to have, put it in the service. We still drink out of it today. But during during that whole thing, I'm sitting there in the middle of the night, awake, wondering how I'm going to get clean water to my family. And I'm thinking, you know, here I am. This, I was I used to make sweet tea a couple of gallons a day. I don't anymore. But back then, <laughs> we were drinking a couple of gallons of sweet tea every day, cooking with this water, you know, showering, bathing our children, brushing our teeth, everything. And I'm like, I was contributing to making my children sick just by placing it in their hands and saw and saw how bad that hurt me personally when it was over but you know it's invisible you don't know right but it's still you're contributing to that and it it helped me understand the importance of clean water uh, especially for those who have never had it before 
Now, I can't buy a Berkey water filter and send to every missionary in the field, but you guys are providing clean, filtered water to many, many people throughout Haiti. And can you, we've got just a few more minutes. Can you kind of share the program you guys have there? Because I love clean water and I know how important it is. Uh, I don't live in Flint, Michigan, and God bless those folks. I think they get that squared away. I'm not trying to make light of it, but seriously, you know, just here on my farm, we had dirty water. It made us sick. I get it, and I understand the importance of it. So I've always kind of, since that time, I've kind of been drawn to folks who were processing water for for folks in, you know, the third world. So can you tell us about your program? Absolutely, yes, sir. And I will say I'm unfortunately not familiar with uh, the Berkey filters. I'm sure they're great. I don't want to you know, say anything negative about them since I, no, I'm not ahead. familiar with them. But we use Sawyer filters, okay. and I am all on board with Sawyer. <laughs> They're actually a uh, Christian company, great group, and they make one of the best filtration systems, especially for the developing world. I actually got to meet them at a conference on uh, missions and development, and they gave me a bunch of prototypes. I was able to test them, field test them in Mozambique right. and elsewhere. And, you know, send them my notes. I mean, they're great folks. Awesome. And they make a – so I, I Googled Berkey, and I can see it's kind of a good uh, household unit size thing. Yeah. Um, Sawyer makes not only a you know, good household size, but almost more of a community-sized filter. And it's a 0.01 micron uh, filtration system, so incredibly uh, precise. And what we do is – the wells that were throughout the Tomazo region, we would install a tough tank, a big water tank next to the well, the well where you could then pump the water in, and then the water then gravity flows out through the Sawyer filter. And last calculation, uh, our filtration system provides access to 220 million gallons of clean water a year. <laughs> and so there are roughly 200, 250,000 people in our region. And so there is access to clean water for everybody in the region. Um, and we're really, really, really excited about that. And it's just, you know, such a wonderful thing. We are actually going up the mountains into other regions and we're drilling wells. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we just drilled our, I hope I'm not giving you an inaccurate number, but I think it was 96th well wow. in our area. And those are all filtered wells. They're not just wells, right? Well, yes, sir. So it's a well that then goes to a tank that then flows out through a filter. I love that. Yes, sir. That is awesome. And a lot of these areas, it's incredibly rocky. The water table is much lower than the uh, the surface, and so we're having to drill incredibly deep. But what that meant was there were no shallow hand-dug wells in this area, and they would walk for miles and miles to get water and then have to hike back uphill to get home again. And so providing access to water, but then especially clean water, makes such a difference. And towards the end of 2010, cholera broke out in Haiti, and it was an Asian strain of cholera. So it was a strain that the Haitians were not uh, did not have any resistance to, and so it just – uh, ran rampant through the country, and I was I was uh, involved in running a number of cholera clinics, mostly up in northern Haiti. And oh my goodness, it was awful. Mm. I mean, just patients coming in all day and night, 
I mean, we could not start IVs fast enough and just you know, mopping up the, the diarrhea and the vomit. And cholera is a waterborne disease. It's easily prevented. You just don't drink dirty water. Right. And uh, then you basically diarrhea yourself to death. Mm. Oh, that's a terrible way to go. Yeah. I mean, oh, it, was, it was just really bad. Yes, sir. Talk to Sawyer uh the Sawyer company and got a ton of home kind of family unit size filters. And we distributed those all over the country. And just, Hey, before you drink water, just it's a, a filter that's kind of on a hose. It looks like a, Oh, maybe like a shaker bottle, you know, that you put your drink in or kind of like a, um, a pill bottle that's on a little bit of a tube and it comes with a drill bit so you can cut a hole in the side of a five-gallon bucket, and then that hose attaches to the five-gallon bucket. And you have to just pour water in there, and it gravity feeds out through the filter, and you have surgically sterile water that wow. comes out the other end. And so we were able to get rid of the cholera from their drinking water. And praise the Lord, cholera didn't come to Tomazo, our region of Haiti. And... I like to think that it was because we had so many filters throughout the region that everyone had access to clean water and we didn't have the disease rear its ugly head. But oh my goodness, waterborne diseases, the easiest preventable disease uh, to really address still kills so many people throughout the world and it causes incredible stunting and growth of young children. And oh, being able to have access to clean water is has got to be a priority for everybody from Flint, Michigan, to your farm, to Haiti, to Mozambique or Afghanistan, wherever you are, you've got to be able to have clean water. And I think that's one reason why, you know, Jesus says, I'm the water of life. Yeah, yeah. So how do we, if we want to be involved, whether... Uh, or living water, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Bread we, of life, living water. If, yeah, if we want to be involved with your mission work, if we want to participate from home financially, if uh, we're interested in pr- helping provide clean water or even maybe you know sponsoring something that you guys have going on, what's the best way for us to become involved with, with Live Beyond and be a part of how you guys are changing the culture in Haiti. Yes, sir. Well, livebeyond.org. You're able to read all about the work that we're doing, watch our videos. Um, I'm of the mindset that over-communication is better than under-communication. And so we have a page on our website for everything we do. And so you're able to see it all there. You're able to donate to the work we're doing there. You're able to sign up for a mission trip there and come down um, like I said, we have 17 trips lined up for 2019. Love for y'all to get on those and, and come down and be a part of the work. Join the Live Beyond family and be a part of the mission that's happening. Um, but yes, sir, like you were saying, with the culture of Haiti, I know kind of in the the PC climate that we have here in, in the United States, it's not a, you know, correct to you know, try to change others' cultures. But we're not trying to make Haiti into a mini America. And so that is not our goal. We're not trying to spread the West, you know, per se. We're trying to spread the kingdom of God. 
And I feel like that really transcends all borders. And so the culture that we're trying to change is not necessarily a Haitian culture into an American culture, but from a voodoo culture into a kingdom culture. And that requires people. Like I said, that requires laborers to go into the harvest field. And so we would love to have more and more people come down and join in the work and really grab, you know, grab onto the, what am I trying to say? The yoke of, of Jesus, you know, put your neck into the yoke and start pulling the plow, more agriculture metaphors, you know, and, and work in these fields that the Lord has called us to go into. And so, yes, please check out livebeyond.org, register for a mission trip or support the work that's going on. If you're not able to come join us yourself and yes, sir, learn more about the work the Lord's given us to do. And honestly, while I'm incredibly biased to live beyond, I think it's important that we as Christians, we all get involved in the work somewhere. So if it's not with live beyond, find another Christian organization that is doing work all around the world. Go to India, go to Honduras, go next door and just be involved in in the work of Christ. Awesome stuff, man. We appreciate you being with us. And as we go into 2019 here, celebrating another new year, but, uh, you know, even looking forward to what God's going to be doing in our lives and your lives with your folks and, and the people there of Haiti, we just really appreciate you guys doing what you're doing. A lot of us can't go. A lot of us won't go, but we are so thankful and, and believe uh, the return on your investment there will be immense when we get to our uh, get to the other side so thank you for your service to our our fellow humans uh, we, we share this thing you know we forget about man the the, the west is so screwed up but that's a whole nother hour and a half podcast i'm part of the problem i'll just admit it but the fact is you guys have found a, a hurt and and you're working in jesus name to fix that hurt and and just so appreciate that and uh, we're praying for the best for you guys going into 2019. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your support and your prayers. And um, y'all keep up the great work as well. We're all working for the same kingdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, God bless you. The best to your folks, your your bride, and your in-laws. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll chat with you again sometime soon. Well, great. Thank you so much. God bless you, too. Yeah, Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Christian Men podcast. You can find us online at modernchristianmen.com.